the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's Tuesday, March the 9th, 2021, in the year of our Lord. Today on March 9, 1841, the U.S. Supreme Court in United States versus the Amistad ruled 7-1 to one in favor of a group who, of illegally enslaved Africans who were captured off the U.S. coast after seizing control of their Spanish schooner, La Amistad. The justices ruled that the Africans should be set free. This is a significant story in history. I mentioned it the other day. It was actually the ruling came down today, March 9, 1841. Let me just comment on this just a bit. I could talk at length about it. It's very, very important in the history of our country. And it certainly flies in the face of what we're being told today by some of our highest leaders, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, and others, that we're systemically racist in America. Well, we're not. And I think it's time people begin to speak out the truth. And there's nowhere better to find the truth of our history than in our history that hasn't been revised. The Amistad incident was seen by some as providential, the way it worked out, and I believe that to be true. Lewis Tappan was a very successful businessman in America. So was his brother. And they got involved. They became aware of this. And Lewis Tappan started contacting some of the religious leaders, evangelical leaders that he knew. And he said, man, he said, this, we cannot let this happen. So they got involved in it spiritually and financially. Tappan began telling the press and anybody that would listen to him, a businessman, that slavery was a deep moral wrong. And it was not a subject that anybody, particularly those claiming Christianity, should compromise on. Both those who advocated its practice, those who quietly condoned it by inaction, he said they need to be called out. He said we can't go on as a nation like this. He wrote in one article, slavery is a sin because it it obstructs a person's free will inherent by birth, therefore constituting a rebellion against God himself. Slavery was also, Tappan wrote in a letter to his brother, also a very successful businessman, Lewis said the, that slavery is the worm at the root of the tree of liberty. Unless killed, the tree will die. Another issue around this particular event in history that's often forgot, and I mentioned this recently in a little bit different setting, but let me mention it again today. Francis Scott Key, the guy that wrote the Star Spangled Banner, who is now vilified, his statues have been or are on the list to be torn down 
because that represents America, and America is systemically racist. But two years before his death, in 1841, and days preceding today in 1841, Francis Scott Key, also a lawyer, he joined with John Quincy Adams to help make the case to free these slaves on this Spanish ship, or from this Spanish ship. Francis Scott Key was passionate about abolishing slavery. Yes, he had had slaves in the past, but he under he came to realize this was sin against God himself. We're never given credit for that in our American history. That's been blotted out, underscored, shaded, removed, ripped out of the pages of history. Our kids never hear this kind of thing in the classroom. We never hear it from the pulpits, unfortunately. So America staggers on toward destruction, not even knowing our past. And when people stand up with an agenda, whether it's Ocasio-Cortez, Chuck Schumer, or whomever it is, declaring and pounding their little fists on their lectern and telling Americans that we're systemically racist, they're not telling the truth. They're either terribly uninformed or they're simply lying. Yes, there is a history of slavery, but we're the only country in the world that waged a war against ourselves over a moral issue. No other country has ever done that in the, in, in the history of the human race. I get sick and tired of these people and their self-righteousness. Well, many of their other policies are destroying our culture, just as slavery did. Sin always destroys. Standing on the word of God, the truth of God's word, always breathes life into a nation and into an individual. Oh, I could talk about that for a long time. I could preach a sermon on that this morning. I could do it right now with no notes, but I won't do that. This isn't Sunday morning. This isn't church, is it? But every day is church if you follow the Lord. Anyway, that's what happened. March 9th, 1841. Francis Scott Key. John Quincy Adams, the son of John Adams, who had been raised to read through the Bible every <laughs> every year. John Quincy, as a kid, started reading through the Bible every year because his father taught him to do that, told him to be the most important thing he ever did in his life. Today, in 1916, more than 400 Mexican raiders led by Pancho Villa, they attacked Columbus, New Mexico, killed 18 Americans. Today, in 1933, Congress called into special session by President Franklin D. Roosevelt. They begin their 100 days, quote-unquote, of enacting the New Deal legislation. Today, in 1936, the German press warned that all Jews who vote in the upcoming election will be arrested. Today, 1945, during World War II, U.S. B-29 bombers began bombing Tokyo. Today, in 1954, CBS newsman Edward R. Murrow, he's, in fact, there's an award that goes to, it's kind of the premier award, I think, for news people, the Edward R. Murrow Award. He publicly criticized Wisconsin Senator Joseph McCarthy for his anti-communism campaign. He had a program back then, Edward R. Murrow, it was called See It Now, 1954 on CBS. Today in 1959, Mattel's Barbie doll, I'm sure you needed to know this, Mattel's Barbie doll made its public debut in American culture at the American International Toy Fair in New York. 
And today in 1964, we all need to know this. Today in 1964, the first Ford Mustang rolled off the Ford assembly line. And speaking of cars, I like cars. I grew up liking cars. I grew up in an era where all of us in the 50s, 60s, we liked cars. Most of us couldn't afford them, at least the ones we wanted. I always kind of wanted a Corvette. I could never afford that. I'm glad. I thank God I couldn't. Back in those days, they were made of fiberglass. Maybe they still are. At least two of my friends, one of my friends was killed in a Corvette. And uh, another one of my friends was in the hospital for six, eight months recovering from an accident, a wreck that he was in, in his Corvette. I couldn't afford one, so God was God was good to me. Never had that risk. But uh, anyway, today in 1987, Chrysler Corporation announced that it had agreed to buy the financially ailing American Motors Corporation. I think they made the Nash Rambler, among other things. I never really wanted a Nash Rambler, but I, I heard they were good cars. I'm sure they were. Thanks for indulging me a little bit on the car thing. I love cars. Interesting story out there this morning. Joe Biden. You know, he's been talking a lot about his dogs. They got these great big dogs at the White House. These two, well, it was two, now it's one, German Shepherds. He said they rescued them. That's very important nowadays that we don't just buy a purebred, that we rescue a pet from the local dog pound, whatever. So he's been talking a lot about that. But interestingly enough, there's a story this morning that says during this last week, they're not saying what day it was, they probably don't know, but sometime in the last week, one of those German shepherds that Joe Biden had rescued and brought to the White House with him bit one of the security guys. He attacked him and bit him. So now the German shepherd, I don't know for sure which one it is. Oh, it's Major they're, they both, you know, one of them is named Major. I, I can't remember what the other one's name is. But anyway, it was Major. They're saying that he, the, the press release says he had aggressive behavior. He had an a, aggressive behavior incident with one of the White House security. Well, in truth, he, he did. He bit the guy pretty badly, actually. So they've moved Major out and sent him back to Delaware. So he'll be under kind of like house arrest, kind of like. He would have COVID-19, but he doesn't have. So it seems like you need to be careful where Joe Biden is concerned. You may get bit. I want to talk to you a little bit about another group that feels they've been bitten or at least betrayed by Joe Biden. Interestingly enough, in an open letter released Sunday, Pro-Life Evangelicals for Biden. That's the name of an organization. There's about 5,000 people in it. But they were using their influence, and some of them are, are fairly influential. And they were using their influence trying to talk evangelicals who generally voted for Trump and supported him, not because he was an outstanding Christian example in his personal life, but because of the policies that he enacted. But these guys were out there, all 5,000 of them, trying to influence everybody. And they did. They influenced a lot of people. And some of them, as I said, had, I don't 
obviously have time to go through the list, but some of the names you would recognize, some not, but they all had circles of influence. And they used that to, to the greatest degree they could to get people to not vote for Trump because he's immoral and all, he's failed and flawed and all of that. Besides, he's not likable. He's blustery and outspoken and talks too much and tweets too much and all of that. So that that was their message. I was watching them and paying attention to what they were saying during the run-up to the election. I didn't talk a lot about it on this program. But anyway, they were organized. They still are. And they, they call themselves pro-life evangelicals for Biden. Well, they were convinced, at least they say they were, and they were trying to convince others. And as I said, they probably did, that Joe Biden had made a promise to them and that he would keep that promise. He would honor his commitment. Well, they've written this letter. They released it Sunday. It's an open letter, but it was directed to the Biden administration, not him personally, but obviously it was meant for him personally. They said that they were terribly disappointed. (laughs) And they said more than that. I'll get to that in a moment. Because he did not honor his commitment and include the Hyde Amendment in the Democrats' $1.9 trillion COVID-19 spending package. In the letter, they say, we feel used and betrayed. They probably feel a little bit like that security guy at the White House felt when the president's dog bit him, kind of attacked him, really. Are they really surprised, though? Did they really expect Biden to keep a promise that would conflict with Planned Parenthood and NARAL and Kamala Harris and Joe and Biden's lifelong political party and Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and all these this horde of people out there that are just committed to killing babies? They're as committed to killing unwanted babies as slaveholders were 300 years ago to their slavery. It's the same. I mean, it's the same spirit. It is. It's all about deception. And now these people, these 5,000 people, at least they had enough courage to come out and say, we got misled. We were deceived. In their letter, the organization, again, it's called Pro-Life Evangelicals for Biden. They have a shrinking presence now, but you can find them on the website. You can Google it and find it, I think, unless they've taken it down today. But they not only express disappointment in Biden's actions, now that he's elected, but surprised. And of course, as I said, disappointed. The letter says, in part, I'm going to read a part of it. It says, we were very disappointed about the COVID-19 relief package's exclusion of the Hyde Amendment, a long-standing bipartisan policy that prevents taxpayers funding abortion. We're even more upset that the Biden administration, and this was to the Biden administration, but it was open to the public, that the Biden administration is supporting this bill as pro-life leaders in the evangelical community. I would really challenge that a little bit. I mean, they, they are leaders. They have a following. But I don't think I would I don't think I would probably label most of these people as evangelical leaders. But that's what they say they are. So anyway, in their letter, back to the text of the letter. As pro-life leaders in the evangelical community, we publicly supported President Biden's candidacy with the understanding there would be engagement with us on the issue of abortion and particularly the Hyde Amendment. We feel used and betrayed and have no intention of simply watching these kinds of efforts happen from the sidelines. 
Well, good luck. I mean, anyway, what were they thinking? During an Atlanta Democratic National Convention in 2019, that's just been less than a couple of years ago, Biden announced publicly, they should have known this, they should have been informed if they're evangelical leaders or any kind of leaders, they should have known this, but apparently they they didn't, or if they did, they're not admitting they did. He announced that he would no longer support the Hyde Amendment. I remember that. I thought, boy, that's powerful. That should convince most biblical Christians that he's not our guy. I mean, denouncing that. I mean, so now the government is going to start paying for abortions without any pretense of not doing it. So Biden announced in 2019 in Atlanta that he would no longer support the Hyde Amendment. That's been, had bipartisan support in all of the spending bills since it came into being, Hyde being the legislator, the senator that brought that into existence. I think it was in 1976, something like that. But it restricts federal taxpayer dollars from funding most abortions. So Planned Parenthood has had to dance around all of that, and it, it has somewhat suppressed their their obsession with abortions. At the time, in Atlanta, Joe Biden said, if I believe health care is a right, as I do, I can no longer support an amendment that makes that right dependent on someone's zip code. At the time, an ACLU volunteer, probably a lawyer who couldn't get paid, but they were working there, it was a, I think it was a young woman, but it was a young person, probably in their 20s, as I recall. It's been a while. But anyway, they ask directly to Biden. They ask, if you become president, would you lift the Hyde Amendment, which bans federal insurance coverage of abortion? And Joe Biden looked at them, and those were better days for him as far as his cognitive abilities. He was much better spoken in those days and had much greater recall, and he was much more articulate. He looked right at this person from the ACLU and said, yes, and then just let the silence hang for a moment and moved on. Well, it's true. For many years, Biden did support the Hyde Amendment, including in his book. He wrote a book back in 2008, I believe. It's called Promises to Keep. And in that book, he claimed, quote, I've stuck to the middle of the road position on abortion for more than 30 years. I know I the first time I saw that phrase in that book, I, I thought, what is the middle of the road on abortion? Would that be 400,000 abortions rather than 800,000 abortions? I mean, how do you find a middle of the road on abortion? How do you find a middle of the road on slavery? Yeah, we're going to denounce slavery, and I have 10 slaves, so I'm going to get rid of five of them. See, I'm now moral because I denounced slavery and I got rid of five of my slaves. And now you other five get out there and till the field or whatever. That's ridiculous, and we all know it. But we have so cloaked ourselves in this web of deception around our culture where we're trying to avoid the truth of God, which is the foundation of this nation, and it's the foundation of every successful life that's ever been lived. If you violate or deny or discard the rules of God being the creator of all things, you are entering a path of destruction. It doesn't matter what you say you will ultimately be destroyed. Not because God's mad at you, because God has given us 
the the game plan. He's given us the right path. He said, if you do these things, you'll have life and have it more abundantly, Jesus himself said. He said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. But no, no, that's not right. No, we, we can't teach that in school. Separation of church and state, that's nonsense. We're separating church and state to the detriment and the destruction of our own kids. And then they grow up to be adults and they become so-called public servants. And they have a lifetime career in politics. And they end up rich on their $180,000 a year salary. How does that work? I don't know. But it seems to happen with a lot of consistency. So what's the middle of the road on abortion? Well, Joe Biden has an answer for that. His most recent explanation that I could find was this, and I quote, he said, I'm trying to stay in the middle of the road on abortion. I still vote against partial birth abortion. (laughs) I don't even know what to say to that. If you kill an unwanted child in the womb, it's right. But if you kill the same child just outside the womb on the table, it's wrong. That's how screwed up secular progressivism can lead you into in, in, in that philosophy, that worldview. So what were these 5,000 self-proclaimed evangelicals, some with considerable influence, as I said, what were they thinking as they fanned out across the country using that influence to entice other evangelicals? They were in many pulpits across the country to join them in supporting Joe Biden for the presidency. And millions, several millions of evangelicals voted for Joe Biden, just like they did for Hillary. Here's how, here's how they explained it. They said, we disagree with Vice President Biden and the Democratic platform on the issue of abortion. But, and they said, I'm quoting them, Joe Biden's policies are more consistent with the biblically shaped ethic of life than those of Donald Trump. Hmm, That's interesting. Those explanations were being made while Joe Biden's former husband was expressing to the press during the run-up to the election how his then-wife Jill, some years earlier, was having an affair with Senator Joe Biden while the husband thought he was she was working on his campaign. He told the story. Nobody cared because that really wasn't the issue. It really wasn't. It wasn't about Donald Trump being a sinner and Joe Biden being a saint. But they've cast it that way. Not only do we become deceived ourselves sometimes, but we self-deceive. It isn't even deception from someone else. It's our own deception. We become woven in our own web of deception. Well, these disappointed and betrayed evangelicals, they finally admit what their support for Biden was really about. Here's what they said. They said, quote, knowing that the most common reason women give for abortion is their financial difficulty of another child, we appreciate a number of democratic proposals that would significantly alleviate that financial burden. Bottom line, if I had an hour, I'd go into this. I don't. I've got about seven, six minutes. But the bottom line is, this is what they're saying. They're saying, we've got to expand government and expand welfare and expand entitlements because that is the way to alleviate poverty. 
For these reasons, they claimed, I'm quoting them, we believe on balance that Joe Biden's policies are more consistent than those of Donald Trump. John Nolte is a journalist for Breitbart News. <laughs> to my knowledge, he has never claimed to be an evangelical Christian or any other kind of a Christian. I don't know. I mean, I don't know him. I read what he writes. It's crass. He uses words I don't use, and you, hopefully you don't use. But anyway, he noted in an article about this very subject over the weekend. He said, these people believe a big part of being pro-life is backing the welfare state. Well, he's right. They do. That's exactly what they're saying. It's, a, it's really a form of socialism. It's interesting that Nolte has a better grip on the realities of this than their, these professing Christians on the left. He says, quote, Nolte says, if you believe poverty is causing abortions, you should oppose the welfare state, not call for it to expand. He said it's the welfare state that's making that's taking the place of the father, therefore a stable family, that is directly responsible for the surge on unwed mothers since the failed Great Society was instituted, and it's the demonic welfare state. This is this is the secular, the, the non-Christian. I mean, maybe he's a Christian. I don't know. I've never seen him make any any claim to having a any kind of Christianity or certainly not a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I've read quite a bit of what he writes. He's pretty insightful, but here he's very insightful in this. He said, and it's the demonic welfare state that causes poverty in a fabulously rich country where the fastest way out of poverty is through marriage. And the last word of his piece on this is, he just writes the word lunatics. Well, I'll tell you, sometimes, sometimes, people who do not claim Christianity and biblical understanding have more insight than those who do. Sometimes we hear the phrase, oh, what a tangled web we weave when at first we practice to deceive. I've heard that often attributed to Shakespeare. It wasn't Shakespeare who said it. It was Sir Walter Scott. He wrote it in a poem called Marmion, A Tale of Flodden Field. It's a historical romance in the verse, it's published in around 1808, I think. It tells the tale of how one of Henry VIII's courtiers, Lord Marmion, he's pursuing his lust for a rich woman, Clara Kerr. Uh, uh, he and his mistress, a delinquent nun in this story of Sir Walter Scott's, Constance de Beverly, they devise a scheme to implicate Clara's fiancé in treason. It becomes chaotic, although Marmion appears to have won by defeating Claire's fiancé in a duel. So just when they think they've won in this story of Scots, just when they think they've won, Clara, the woman that this guy wanted, goes and enters a convent. She said she would rather be a nun in a convent than to have to endure his attentions. I couldn't help but think of this story when I read this about Joe Biden and his evangelical friends. The left, the secular religious, they're caught in a web of never cha ever-changing truth because they deny absolute or fixed truth. The great dilemma then for the religious left is to attempt to reconcile Scripture to the ever-changing truths, and that's what I read in the underline of this letter. Thank you for your support. I wouldn't be here without it. Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 
9809. Thanks for being with me today. I'll see you right here tomorrow.